Hey guys, it's Chloe here. Unfortunately, we realized after recording the podcast this week that we had a bit of a technical issue with one of our microphones. So we've had to use the backup microphone. Apologies in advance for the audio not being up to our usual standard, but I hope you enjoyed the episode. Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news fairs. What have we got around the grounds this week? The proposal for an A for AATP, NATP, WTA tennis merger gains momentum. We've got a new queen of diving, Alicia Colloy, is world champion on one metre springboard. And Jakara Anthony claims the overall crystal globe in the moguls at the World Cup. For the key story, we'll discuss a big sticky question, which I think you and I might have differing opinions on, which I'm kind of looking forward to this. Ish. Ish. Should there be an Olympic type event without any restrictions on performance enhancing drugs? Ooh. My name is Chloe Dalton and I'm joined every week on the show by my co-host Bez. We're recording our podcast on Gadigal land. Bez, how are you? I'm very well, friend. How are you? I'm pretty good. You good? Yeah, I am good. How was your weekend? It was nice. I can't really remember what I did. I think I had a relatively quiet one. A few speaking appearances, spoke at uh, one of the schools. They were having a leadership camp for their sports captains, which was really cool. So I went and spoke to some of the leaders, spoke somewhere else on Friday. Borough Women's Rugby. That's where I went. The Baroness Women's Rugby Lunch with you as well. Yeah. Thanks for remembering. Sometimes I'm nervous that I've had a concussion that makes me forget things. Anyway, let's take a look around the grounds, ground, shall we? <laughs> In tennis, after discussions at the Australian Open, the proposal for a WTA ATP merger is gaining momentum. So WTA, the women's, ATP, the men's tennis, they exist as, they obviously compete at the same time for the Grand Slams, but they exist as separate bodies. Yeah, and they also have different tours as such underneath the Grand Slams. So there's an aim in this merger to create a new elite premium tour. The vision is to have an elite tour consisting of 11 to 14 combined. Sorry, Bez is distracting me with her carrot-coloured drink that actually matches T-Fat Orange on her microphone. Um, It's going to be a long day. Apologies. (laughs) Continue, please. 11 to 14 combined men's and women's tournaments similar to F1's Global Motorsport Series. This would run parallel to the Grand Slams and, most importantly, ensure equal pay for women athletes throughout the entire tennis season. The remaining ATP and WTA tour tournaments would form a development tour which would feature players who are outside the top 100. The potential benefits are enormous. By consolidating media rights and sponsorship deals under one brand, the combined tour could generate more revenue than the separate WTA and ATP tours. This move could alleviate financial stress for the WTA and provide more opportunities for women tennis stars to earn substantial rewards even outside Grand Slam events, which I think is probably the key, isn't it? We know that there's um, the equal prize money in the Grand Slam events, but outside of that it's not equal pay yes correct so the telegraph in the uk reported that wta boss Stephen steve simon is open to the proposal emphasizing the importance of equal pay and billing for women athletes yet there are challenges that still lie ahead particularly in navigating financial considerations and potential partnerships with saudi arabia a nation keen on expanding its footprint in women's tennis so we've obviously seen saudi arabia um, with the live golf and things like that we've spoken about them before 
Tennis legends Chris Ebert and Martina Navratilova both voiced their concerns about Saudi Arabia's record on women's rights in a Washington Post article recently, writing, not only is this a country where women are not seen as equal, it is a country which criminalises the LGBTQ plus community, a country whose long-term record on human rights and basic freedoms has been a matter of international concern for decades. Billie Jean King has argued that engagement with the government in Saudi Arabia is the best way to bring about change. Interesting one, isn't it? And I know we have spoken about this on The Wrap in the past. I think, and, and we did talk about the fact that Billie Jean King's approach is to try and use sport as a vehicle for change, which we love. And change from within. We love Billie Jean King. What does concern me, and I think it's probably a good reminder around um, LGBTQI plus rights in that, in that nation, is that tennis is not going to be able to come in and say, stop criminalising same-sex relationships and marriages. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, very true. It, there's only so much you can do with that. So how much are you willing to accept if you do enter into something like that? Yeah, I agree. And I, I think obviously Billie Jean King's um, thought process is we get in there, we more exposure to, to female athletes, you know, some loosening of restrictions in that space um, will hopefully get the ball rolling and lead to bigger, greater things. But it is... I think it is a very, and we've spoken again about this before, but it's a very hard conversation in, when you talk about the amount of money they're offering. And if the WTA does need that money and it's not being offered from anywhere else, sometimes you've just got to, great. You've got to park the morals, don't you? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, regardless of the conflicting opinions in the public space, it seems certain that the season-ending WTA Tour Finals will take place in Saudi Arabia, marking the latest step in the country's huge investment in elite sport. When it comes to merger talks, the ATP is reported to be less keen in the, on the idea given its stronger financial position, but it can't be denied that the sport is definitely at a crossroads. Tennis Australia Chief Craig Tiley told The Telegraph, all the stakeholders in tennis have been working on a solution for the game, and it's a journey to get to that point. The slams are very united in their resolve, but it's a complex problem to solve. If it wasn't complicated, it would have been solved already. These ideas aren't new, but what may be new is the motivation to give it a go and to see if there's that opportunity. Hmm. In basketball, the NBA All-Star Weekend is approaching and we are in for an epic showdown between two phenomenal shooters, the legendary Steph Curry and WNBA sensation Sabrina Ionescu. There's been a bit of banter between the two of them that started a few months ago with both players expressing their desire to face off in a three-point competition. Curry, known for his, his incredible shooting prowess, aims to defend his reputation against the WNBA's record holder for most three-pointers in a single season. Curry was mic'd up during a game on January 25th and had a discussion with Warriors teammate Brandon Podzimski about UNESCO saying, I think I've got to challenge her. UNESCO responded on social media, let's get it. See you at the three-point line. So good. How good. She, um, Sabrina scored an almost perfect 37 points in the WNBA's three-point contest last summer, which topped Curry's NBA three-point three point contest best of 31. So the rules are pretty simple. Curry and Esco will shoot from their respective league's three-point lines with every successful shot contributing to charity. The NBA Foundation will receive donations for each shot made, $1,000 for regular threes, $2,000 for moneyball threes, and $3,000 for deeper threes from nearly 30 feet. Caitlin Clark would be nailing those deep threes. She'd love from the logo. (laughs) 
The foundation aims to support economic empowerment in the black community. The players will also earn money for their own respective causes with Curry's Eat, Learn, Play nonprofit and Anescu's SI. SI20 Foundation to receive a donation from the NBA and WNBA for the Stars' participation. So there's plenty of hype around the matchup. And Denver Nuggets and New York Knicks legend Carmelo Anthony shared some thoughts on 7pm in Brooklyn podcast recently saying, I love this concept for the business of basketball and women's sport because for the longest time women athletes complaint is why don't we get paid the way that men do? So now you get a chance to put somebody on that stage who can actually sell, put bodies in the seats along with Steph, and this is a moment. This is a moment that I think is going to spark some SHIT in sports for them to do that all-star weekend. Where women's sports is going in the next seven to ten years, it might be bigger than some other sports that's out there when you start going at numbers and structure and scale and all of that. He just, I just love it. He's like, great. Put him on the stage. Here we go. Let's see what happens. And I think, even though I don't know if I love his wording around some of that, from but <laughs> I actually think this is a really cool way to be able to put them because you're not going to have a joint competition. A lot of the trolls in the comments are like, if they think they're that good, put them in the NBA and yeah. see how they go. You're not going to have that because of the physical differences. This is the perfect example of a way that you can pull out a really big skill in the game and put them head to head. Yeah. I'd also like to discuss some of the comment sections that I've seen on ESPN and other things of a lot of men up in arms about this because she'll be shooting with the WNBA size ball, so it's size smaller, and from the WNBA three-point line. And so they're saying it's not comparable. Sabrina, she came out and said, I'll shoot from the NBA line. She shouldn't, though, because no. that's not what she does. Like, I mean, good on her if she gives it a crack, but it's not what she does every day of the week. Yeah, we're talking about a skill execution test here. Exactly And right. it's a skill execution test, like for like, in their environment, what they do, like you said, every day. I can't wait. I'm I hope excited. she definitely wipes the floor with it. It'll be <laughs> fantastic. Oh, but, I hope so. Yeah, to Carmelo's point, some of the language isn't amazing, but I just love that people are talking about it, number one. For sure. And number two, that he's right in that this is an opportunity to put a female athlete on that kind of stage against Steph Curry, if and when she beats him. Huge exposure. Huge in a bit of ice hockey slash bigger stadiums, please, <laughs> news. The PWHL is going from strength to strength. So that's the new hockey league over in the US and Canada. Um, on February 16th, another record will be broken. The game between Montreal and Toronto was moved to Scotiabank Arena last week. The venue holds 19,000 fans and tickets sold out minutes after going on sale. Toronto forward Natalie Spooner said, I think everyone that has seen our game so far is surprised to see how skilled we are and they want more. I heard our game at Scotiabank sold out even faster than the WNBA game, which is just wild. The game was originally scheduled to be held at the 2,600-seat Mattamy Athletic Centre. It's safe to say that that venue is nowhere near large enough for these athletes. I just, gosh, that quote makes me sad, though. Yeah. The fact that she has to say that people are surprised at how skilled they are. Why should people be surprised at that? Isn't that just crazy, these assumptions, these long-held assumptions? And and just as we speak about all the time, that kind of being grateful, we're in this, the grateful stage. And I get this is a new competition, so they're probably really grateful that they're on this, on this stage, but let's move on from the grateful stage. In cricket, the Aussies' job, the Aussies' job, the Aussies got the job done in the third T20 on the back of a spectacular performance from Beth Mooney at Bell Reef Oval, who was fighting off suspected food poisoning. Oh, she was not well, but she still managed 82 of 55 deliveries and paved the way for Australia's final over victory against South Africa, securing the securing the T20 series 2-1. 
Mooney's half century in just 39 balls set the tone, leaving the Aussies needing just 14 runs from 13 balls, which Ash Gardner stepped up and sealed the deal with a six and a four, securing a thrilling victory with four balls to spare. The first of the 50-over ODIs was played on the weekend at Adelaide Oval and Megan Shoot celebrated her 200th international game with a bowling masterclass. I had to, I didn't get to watch this on the weekend. I had to reread these figures again. We restricted South Africa to a mere 105, which was their lowest ODI title total against Australia. And Shoot's figures were one for one off five overs. <laughs> one run, one wicket. Wow. Off five overs. So just for if you don't watch cricket, she she bowled how many she bowled, 30. bowled thirty balls and they hit one run and she took a bit. That's impressive. <laughs> Not bad, eh? Um, so that set the tone of the tone obviously for an outstanding display. In the run chase, Beth Mooney continued her splendid form, anchoring at the innings with an unbeaten fifty-two from thirty-four balls. The Aussies effortlessly cruised to a victory with thirty-one overs to spare, asserting their dominance in the multi-format series. With now they're taking a six-two lead in that. There was a bit of a, a rough moment for Marizan Cap, the Proteas star all-rounder. She was forced to retire her after a brilliant half-century. A, a throw hit her in the left elbow during a run, and she's off to hospital. Went off to hospital for scans. I think it was pretty nasty. Do we know if she's okay? I haven't heard, but in her absence, the tourists lost their last four wickets for eleven runs. So it was a real collapse after that. She is a boss. Oh yeah. The three-day ODI series continues at North Sydney Oval on Wednesday and Saturday this week. So if you're in Sydney, get around it. How good. I just was trying to Google to see. I don't think they've released it yet. I do love how the Aussies really set the stone in the cricket, don't they? <laughs> they keep putting S's in front of them today for some reason. <laughs> in diving, Australia's new dive queen, Alicia Colloy, has made a splash on the world stage by claiming oh, the But she didn't make a splash. Nice. Nice. <laughs> she shouldn't have made a splash. She, she wouldn't have made a splash. Tiny ripples. She made a ripple that was small and not judged by the judges. She claimed gold in the women's one-metre springboard. In her World Aquatics Championships debut, isn't that insane? The 22-year-old from Queensland delivered a stellar performance, securing the top spot with a winning total of 260.5 points. Kaloy, a former gymnast, fought her way to the lead after the preliminary round. She left her competitors in her wake with Britain's Grace Reid, 257.25, taking silver, and Egypt's Maha Amir capturing her country's first diving medal at a world championships. That's pretty cool. That's awesome, isn't it? Diving powerhouse China decided not to take part in the diving events this year, choosing to focus on the Paris Olympics, but take nothing away from Kaloy, who was amazing in her first world event. She said after the event, I'm still shocked. I put my head down and did my competition as usual, and this is a big surprise. It's my first world. I'm stoked. Stoked. Good on you. Excitingly, she was only really competing in the one-metre springboard as a warm-up for her more favoured event, the three-metre springboard later in the meet, telling media, I was doing this competition to get a feel for the environment and get used to having a crowd, big atmosphere, lots of cameras and interviews. I'm glad I've got it over and done with and we'll see how we go with the three-metre. How good is that? So good. Uh, the diving competition in Doha continues until February 11th and all the action is live and free on Nine Now. That is a little case study for competing without expectations. Isn't that interesting? Like one metre is really a test case event. We're going to see how we go. Mm. Just go and win it all. In snow sports, speaking of winning it all, Jakara Anthony won gold at Deer Valley in the dual moguls on the weekend and in the process took out the overall crystal globe in the, pro- in the process. That's two processes. That's just all the processes. All about the process. Really? 
isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> Adding to the singles Crystal Globe she won last week. She's now tied with Hannah Keeney for the most FIS World Cup victories in one season at 11. And there's three more events still to go. She's definitely going to break that. Surely. Because she can win two goals at each one. How good. She didn't do so well on the non-dual moguls. Yeah, I think she had her first not top 10 finish. Yeah, she came 13 or something. She must have See the expectations we put on them. That's what we talked about. Yeah, very true. Last week. Um, the victory also means she moves past Dale Begg-Smith to become the most successful mogul skier Australia has ever produced. Probably should get a post-up about that, shouldn't we? Should do. Also in Deer Valley, aerial skiers Danielle Scott and Abby Wilcox have achieved podium finishes coming second and third respectively. Three-time Olympian Scott achieved the same score, I hate this, of 77.9 points as first-place American Winter Vanecki. Her name is Winter and she's a snow sporter. It's meant to be. Amazing. But was relegated to silver through a tie break. It was Scott's 18th World Cup medal and she now sits second behind Vanecki on the World Cup standings with 200 points ahead of where we set the final three events of the season. In some more basketball news, the Sydney Flames have announced they will recognise the contributions of Lauren Jackson to New South Wales basketball in their final home game of the season. The game against LJ Southside Flyers will be played on Sunday, February 18th at 2.45pm local time. And the Hoops Capital Club has decided to shift their game from Key Centre to Kudos Bank Arena to allow more basketball fans to attend what could be Jackson's last professional game in Sydney. The Flames are hoping to give Jackson the country's greatest ever basketballer. The world's. The world's. I'm going to say the galaxy. I think we can agree on that. (laughs) The recognition she fittingly deserves in front of the WNBL's largest crowd. To do so, we'll need to eclipse 7,681 fans who coincidentally watched the Flames defeat Southside at John Kane Arena on Feb 4 last year. Tickets for the huge clash start from $10 and $25 for families. Let's break some records and pay tribute to the GOAT. Absolutely. We're going to be there? Absolutely we are. We've got, we've, we've got a weekend away. We're going straight from the airport to Kudos Bank Arena. We're over to TFAT merch, guys, and we'll see you there. Yeah, for sure. And can we just I'm, – I'm really nervous about LJ coming back from the Paris qualifiers and not playing it. I don't know. I started to think about that last night. I need to push those negative thoughts from my mind. She'll, she'll be there. I also love that I was actually thinking about this – this is a, the Sydney Flames. This is I, I get that she is from Albury and or Wodonga, the New South Wales side, whichever one that is, Wodonga. Um, but she never actually played for the Sydney Flames. So we're talking about an organisation where they're going to celebrate her because she's so good. It's like an opposition team putting a party on for you. That's pretty cool. It's, it just shows what an influence she has had on the sport in this country. Absolutely. So get around it, uh, your chance to say thanks to the GOAT. Sunday... February 18th, 2.45. Let's take a look at the key story. So the enhanced games. Billionaire Peter Thiel is stirring the pot with an audacious project called the enhanced games. A Silicon Valley heavyweight known for his early investments in PayPal and Facebook is backing the enhanced games, which is an event dubbed the Olympics on steroids. You can see your face already. The brainchild of Dr. Aaron D'Souza, this competition is set to challenge traditional Olympic model, embracing the use of performance-enhancing drugs. Enhanced Games aims to encourage athletes to push the boundaries of human performance using nutritional supplements and biohacks all out in the open. I like that they've used the word biohacks and not just flat-out performance-enhancing drugs. Yeah. 
the Caesar plans to reveal more details on April 17, but we currently know the competition is expected to include five events, swimming, gymnastics, weightlifting, track and field, and combat. Interestingly, I read that they only want to do individual events, not team events, but it's really about how far one person can push themselves. Right, okay. Uh, it will be held annually at existing venues. And Caesar's philosophy is clear. He says that athletes should have the freedom to make choices about their bodies. Enhanced games will allow athletes to use substances openly, contrasting with the strict anti-doping measures at traditional Olympics and all other <laughs> organised sport. <Yes>. Really? <laughs> there are many questioning the safety of athletes that choose to compete in the Games. However, Michael Sagner, a member of the Games Scientific and Medical Advisory Board and a clinic clinician and researcher in ageing and sports medicine at King's College in London. So the Enhanced Games will pursue a sophisticated safety protocol that will not put, oh, sorry, and that will put athletes' health first and noted contemporary drug testing practised in sports today is not necessarily about athletes' safety. It often skews the public perception of fairness and health in competitive sports. That's an interesting one. I'll come back to that. But Adam Mears, another GOAT, Australia's Olympic chef de mission for Paris 2024. She's expressed strong opposition, calling it a joke and unfair. Critics argue that the concept not only endangers athletes' health, but the integrity of sport itself. D'Souza told the New York Post the aim is to allow athletes to use whatever substances they wish out in the open and honestly, unlike at the Olympics where 44% of Olympians admit to using banned substances while only 1% get caught. Where has he got that stat from? I'm not sure. I didn't delve deeper into that, but it's a stat that he's quoting. That is, there cannot be a stat like that. I aggressively disagree with that statistic. Maybe if we're talking in the 80s? You reckon he's gone back a fair way? Yeah, potentially. Anyway, he said, individuals should be able to make choices about your body and no one, whether it's a sports federation or the government, should be able to tell them what to do about it. Oh, Bez, thoughts? Okay, firstly, we probably don't have to go back to the 80s. We look at the Sydney Olympics. Mm -hmm. Glorious time to be in Sydney, an amazing sporting event. Marion Jones, absolute darling of the Sydney Olympics. She was cheating. Yes. And she wasn't alone. I'm sure there was a lot of athletes on that drug. And I think for me, whilst I do believe that an athlete's health comes first and that there are pressures to do and take things that may be an issue to their health, I do believe that the issue, the, the, the biggest issue, and, and this was you know, obviously very clear in that Sydney Olympics case is that sometimes these drugs actually have to exist for a certain amount of time before people can develop tests for them. Those tests can be ratified and can be used on athletes. So you're kind of talking from what I've read, a three to four window of almost free, you know, go for it anyway. When you say three, like three to four Olympic cycles? No, years, sorry. So one Olympic cycle. Yeah, Okay. But you, the, the drug has to be known and exist for a test to be developed and things like that. I think they're definitely getting better at it. I'm sure now it's not quite like that, but that was the case with the clear, which is what everyone was using at Sydney. Um, yeah, look, health issues aside, I just feel like this could be an even playing field for the first time ever. That's interesting. And I, I think to agree with you to an extent on this, this idea around the fact that it does take a little while for them to sometimes catch up with the technology to catch these athletes out. I feel 
devastated for the athletes when a medal is taken off someone for drugs and the athletes, then it's suddenly like, oh, by the way, you won a gold medal. You just won't ever get to stand on the podium properly. Like, I think that is horrible. horrible. I just, to me, it doesn't, I should probably silence my laptop. It doesn't sit right that it, it's not really you as an athlete. It's what can a drug do for your body in this scenario? Whereas the whole thing about the Olympics, Paralympics, World Championships is that it's about what can you do to push yourself to the best physical capacity, whereas this is what is the best drug to make you the best athlete. To me, that's not what sport is about. Agree. Okay. So let's say for an example, <laughs> let's say for, any, for as an example, you are a, you've spent your 10 years of your adult or your teenage to adult life training to be a cyclist, say, say enemies is an example, and there's someone cycling for another country that just gets you every time and someone says to you, Chloe, take X, Y and Z and you will be that competitor of yours. It's, I understand it, see, and, and we're talking about you as an elite athlete, right? I'm not going to take X, Y and Z and all of a sudden be able to beat you on a bike if that's what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like I, I just think, I guess my point is you have to already be at the most elite level to be competing. I see why, and I don't endorse it, but I see why some people will do anything to get that extra 1%, 2% that means a difference between silver and gold. I don't know if I can – I don't know if the cycling argument is the best one because like, if we're talking like Lance Armstrong here, you know, like – Okay, well, let's, yeah, let's, let's use Lance, right? I'm pretty sure that if I lined up next to the doctor with Lance and had everything that he had injected into him injected into me, I could not climb up a small hill in France, let alone win Tour de France's. Yeah, but I don't know if that means, like, okay, I get it. It's the elite of the elite. I understand that. But I think if, I don't think this blanket argument of saying so many Olympians are taking drugs makes sense because I think as the technology continues to evolve, I hope that there's not that many loopholes that athletes can continue to jump through. I agree, and I love your beautiful holistic outlook. (laughs) Let's take a look at what to watch. The Australian Opals open their Paris Olympics qualifying tournament this week and face host Brazil first up. Tip-off will be 10am on Friday morning. That's a nice viewing time. And the match will be broadcast live on ESPN2, which you can get on Foxtel. This will be followed by games against Germany at 7am on Sunday morning and Serbia at 7am on Monday. Great times. 7am on Sunday is a stretch, but yes, play on. In the A-League, Melbourne City continued their slide on the weekend, going down to bottom side Canberra. They will be desperate for a win against rapidly rising Sydney FC, who are now in third place. The blockbuster will be played on Saturday at the City Football Academy Fields in Melbourne. Kickoff is 5pm local time, and you can stream live on Paramount Plus and 10 Play. And the Hockey Resort kick-starting a mammoth 2024 at the FIH Pro League in India this week. The Aussies will face China, United States, India, Netherlands and Spain over the next two weeks. You can get all the action live and free on the 7 Plus app and head to the Hockey page for their game times. That's the wrap. That is the wrap. We wrapped it up. Slowly but surely. <laughs> Happy Tuesday, everyone. See you next week. Bye-bye.